Good morning, everyone from CES Las Vegas. I have our good friend Blaine Bartlett. Blaine, how was the New Year's for you? <laughs> the New Year is actually it's rocking. It really is. It's uh, it's it came in with a bang. Had snow. We had uh, all kinds of good weather. Uh, very quiet. Uh, all things considered, uh, and life yeah. is good. And along with that came that learn.blaymartlett.com forward slash D-A-Y. What's the D-A-Y for again? D-A-Y, design a year that designs you in return. So that's off with a bang. It's definitely aligned with uh, my, what I call new day challenge. So we have yep. some synergy between what we're doing. And speaking of synergy, we're blessed to have executive vice president at CIBR, uh, Cyber cyber.com uh and you know obviously we've had a few guests on and more and more we know this is going to be an incredible issue it's it's interesting as i begin great gibson uh welcome to office hours but grant is i've become more aware of cybersecurity and the critical business and life issues that are surrounding cybersecurity and it is difficult to watch tv uh, to drive on the road without thinking about, wow, if somebody hacks this, this, you know, every time I go through a green light, I'm like, wow, if somebody makes all the lights in America red at the same time, forget 9-11, <laughs> you know, right. we're, we're talking about it's a serious issue. And we saw in Dallas, some issues with the grid and, you know, a, a variety of other things, water. So, you know, I just want to, to let everyone know that people like Grant, as I always say, it's the entrepreneurs that are going to save the world. We just need to do things to preserve time in order to get the entrepreneurs enough time to, to figure things out, to make sure that we say, stay safe and sound and we have enough resources. How critical is cybersecurity, not only today, but for the future? I mean, it's, it's probably, uh, probably one of the more critical things that we're going to deal with. Uh, the next generation, our generation, you know, we're, we're going to deal with this. It's a generational problem. It's not, it's not a fix. You know, it's, it's entrepreneurs are going to make some progress this century or this, this decade, but I think it's longer than that. And I want to think about it for a minute. We have, we love technology. We like things to talk to each other. We like the convenience we get. We don't always like the privacy it takes away from us. And we certainly don't like the risk that it exposes in the early nineties and, and aughts. When we talked about cybersecurity, we were worried about our data, right? Because people get our data, but now it's colonial pipeline shut down, shut down gas in the Southwest, right? Because it's now physical things. It's now things like you said, if all the lights turned red, if all the lights turned green, how many car accidents would we have across mm -hmm. the U.S.? So now that now it's not just data, it's not just our money, it's not just our ability to process information. It, it's it's the physical things that interact with us in the world that that are affected by this so it's a it, it's different we, we we've always been in the business of creating opportunity right especially as entrepreneurs that's what we do right we create opportunity whether we're whether we're a fam whether we're at home with our family we're creating opportunities for our family whether we're at work creating opportunities for work whether we're in our social environments creating opportunities socially you know we create opportunities we've never been in a position where the technology that we were using created that created these opportunities could affect us if somebody misused it the way that we are with the internet. 
Mm-hmm. And cybersecurity is that protection mechanism. And, and we don't create the protections as quickly as we create the opportunities. And that's that's where the problem lies. Yeah, now there's there's a, a technical positioning that you're actually, uh, I think, on the pointy edge of the spear on. And, and it's called you know, Log4j. Yeah, and, yes. and people aren't familiar with that terminology, but there's a, I mean, there is a huge thing about that. So, can you talk a little bit about the Log4j vulnerability? Yeah, uh, Log4j is a software program. It's open source. Yeah. It was developed by some guys to help people with servers log communication and keep logs of what was happening. Right? Pretty simple, small, uh, non-discrete piece of software. It's, it's, it's not. It's nothing flashy. It's nothing people think about. Oh, this is this is the latest and greatest technology. It's actually some of the oldest te- logging technology. Some of the oldest technology there is for IT. Uh, and so, it's, so it seems very innocuous, um, but there's a bug in there. And if somebody puts in a string of characters uh, and, and the program receives a string for characters, it will try to process that data instead of logging it, right? And so it'll try to run some code. And, it, and it co- it's code that can come from anywhere because that's the nature of the internet, right? You can inject that code from anywhere and it can have anything in it and it can tell to do anything at once. So that's dangerous. Most people, when they originally heard about this, they're like, well, I don't use logging software. It's not important to me, right? But what we found out very quickly is a lot of other companies have said, hey, I need this functionality rather than build it from scratch, which is going to cost me time and money. Let me just use something that's already there. And this one's pretty stable and pretty popular. So thousands and thousands and thousands of companies that have built software have just gone and taken this little piece of code and put it in their code to simplify the process which means that everybody's affected. You go in, uh, you go into the security research community and you can see on day one, when they first discovered this, people tested against Apple and they got a trigger and people tested against Amazon and Google and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, the companies that were affected. Now, that's not to say that you were you were in danger with Apple. Apple had plenty of other protections in place to protect against this, right? Your, your, your data wasn't in danger with Apple. They were very, very well protected. But the problem is you don't know who's protected, who's not protected. You don't know who's going to catch it. You know, if, if your company's out there and they've taken the time uh, to look into this and make sure they're safe from it, that's a really good thing. And if a company has assumed I don't use Log4j, they should reevaluate that assumption because with all the software you use, there is a likelihood that everybody's touched by this. As a matter of fact, I believe the director of CISA said this affects everybody. This affects everyone and, and likely it does. You know, speaking of affecting everyone, number one, I want to thank you for your service as a, a retired vet uh, with the Marine Corps, even served on the bomb squad, uh, you know, understanding security extremely well. There's been 1.8 million or more attacks since December 15th, cyber attacks. Um, but I'd like to ask a question that maybe a lot of people may not ask. And I'm sitting here listening to the enormous amount of exposure uh, that we create every time we automate, utilize AI, any sort of connectivity with the internet, uh, Wi-Fi, et cetera. There's still the the final stage of what do we do to put everyone in an emotional and mental ease that we don't want to attack, right? That that, that we sit there, you see more attacks than anyone. You've, you, you've been in the conflictual type of, experience you know probably since you've been 18 uh and you know i'm blessed because my whole existence and job is to put people at ease and to be at ease and to, you know I, I have no attacks in my in my universe and i read the course of miracles to make sure of it and goddard and 
dire and all these things for that mindset. How do we shift the mindset of the collective, you know, so that we don't use our guns in the wrong way? We don't use our technology in the wrong way? Or is it just human nature and the ego that since you have so much experience, we'll always have attacks and judgments and we're always going to be counteracting? Well, you know, it's you can't look at it any different than any other type of crime. Right. Is crime ever going to go away? No. But we put sufficient controls in place as a society to prevent crime. And that's from their social controls that as a group, we say, hey, crime is not okay, Right. And and, and that that goes a long way. Um, We put uh, we put policing controls in place uh, to help us mitigate crime. Right. And we put uh, and and we put deterrence in place. Right. If you commit a crime and you get caught, these are the things that are going to happen to you. Right. Cybersecurity, you know, for 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 a young man or woman in, in this country or another country to look at cybercrime and see that as the same thing as stealing from Walmart, they, they don't look at it that way, right? We haven't had that societal change to say, hey, these these crimes affect us the same way that they might in a Walmart, and you shouldn't steal from Walmart, right? So there has to be that societal change. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think do more men or more women commit cyber uh, crimes? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a, more men get caught. We know that, uh, it's hard to say that it's, it's, it's hard. There's, there's no hard facts, right? There's no hard science and numbers say it's men, uh, yeah. right? It's likely men because men dominate the IT industry. So it's likely that they dominate the cybercrime industry as well. Uh, and, and so, so, so that's likely, but that's not to say it's exclusive to men by any means. There are, there are plenty of women out there on the good side and bad side of this and, 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 and you got to watch out for them too. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, and then Dave's question here, I think, you know, points directly to this. It, it, it's a question in part of education. So, yeah, you know, how do we educate you know folks to understand that you know cybercrime is in fact a crime? And so, in your role as the uh, the chair of uh, the National Initiative for Cybersecurity uh, Education, what are you doing, and how is that? Yeah, you know, how's that initiative actually uh, taking hold? at this point right uh, so, so first off i'm not i'm not the chair of that committee anymore uh, for that organization uh, I, I was the okay. chair um and, but we, 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 we give blaine you know, really bad notes to, to make sure he looks because i don't want him to be <laughs> test to see if i read the notes <laughs> no no it's a test is to make sure that you don't look uh, smarter than me <laughs> right fair enough uh but at the end of the day uh the, the answer is uh, we have been really, really focused on a couple of factors. Uh, one is educating uh, business, right? Educating business about this is, is a is a what has been a re- really big, right? To make sure they're aware, and there are a lot of organizations doing that, trying to do that in government, non-government entities, entrepreneurs, everybody. Um, the, the other one is the other one is uh, is adult population. There's a shortage of workers, and so trying to get out to workers that may see job displacement in the next couple of years. You know, if you look out at the marketplace and what technology is doing to the job market, you're going to see some job displacement over the next decade. And trying to get people to consider switching jobs. You know, let's see. You know, if you if you're if you're worried about raising the minimum wage, if that's a concern that you have, get into cybersecurity. Get into cybersecurity right now because we can take care of that for you. We need you. And in, in six months to a year, you can be in a cybersecurity job. It may be a starting, but it probably paid better than minimum wage, right? So if you've got a listener out there that's concerned about that, you know, come talk to me, reach out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll set you in the right direction. And the, and the third the third initiative is K twelve, right? We really need to get into K twelve. We really need to talk about computer science in K twelve. 
vocational programs have done wonders for our for our uh, labor force over the last hundred years, right? Getting them into trades and things like that. Think of cybersecurity as a trade. So getting into the schools and starting vocational programs that get people into cybersecurity. You don't need a four-year degree to do this, right? You, it certainly helps, but you don't need it. If you get started at a young age, because that's what the hackers do, they don't have four-year degrees. They're getting started in high school. They're hacking. And then when they get out there, they're making money off hacking. Uh, the same is true for the good side. And so getting to the K-12 and starting to get that mindset there will have a big difference and, and will help make those societal changes in the future. Last question it. real quick, Grant. Uh, who are you working with? Who's your, who's your ideal client or, or who are your clients? You know, uh, our, our ideal client, everybody's ideal client is that multi-million dollar uh, contract, right? But, but the reality is we can be most beneficial and there's the most need in the small to medium-sized business market, right? And, and mm -hmm. that, that's where we can make an impact. These are the guys that are most vulnerable. You might even not think of your, your, your electric co-op as a small to medium-sized business, right? But likely they actually are a small to medium-sized business. And the, the, you know that's that's somebody that we can talk to and we can help and, and, and understand cybersecurity. But it's that market where, if you think that this is out of reach, if you think cybersecurity is out of reach, it's too technical, it's too expensive. Simple things go a long way. You don't need to spend a million dollars a year on cybersecurity. You just have to have you just need to have a security mindset, and and we can help you figure that out and navigate what your risks are and, and figure out how to mitigate them. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate Grant Gibson. Come join us again, Executive Vice President yeah. of Cyber, CIBR.com. We appreciate it, and thank you for keeping us secure again, and thank you for your service. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. See you later. Great having you on the show, Grant. Take care. It's the, the, the new Cyber Marine here. He's keeping us safe <laughs> again. Some guys just have it in their blood to protect other people. And uh, it's so they nice do, for there. sure. We're blessed Love to have it. them. All right. We're rocking and rolling early on here. And it's Joshua Hicks coming on, independent certified health coach. Uh, and uh, re really excited to talk about transformation with his breakthrough story of health. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting breaking through, uh, especially, you know, in a non-negotiable like health. I'm going to repeat the same thing for those that, you know, don't watch this every day. You know, when you're healthy, you get as many wishes as you want. And I believe wishes are the greatest asset. And the more, that, by the way, Blaine, I, I read Goddard, thanks to you, yeah. the more I realize how valuable a wish is. But if you're unhealthy, you only have one wish. The other thing about health is coherence, that people want to be healthy. They just don't remember what to do every day. And they definitely don't do it, even if they do remember. And mm -hmm. there's an aggregate effect. When we do healthy things, it aggregates and compounds on itself. And when we do unhealthy things, we put ourselves at disease and it aggregates. Uh, so I'd love to start, Josh, with, you know, your story, but also in line with, you know, where, where and how is a breakthrough, uh, you know, so that you, I think, utilize coherence in the positive aggregate effect in health instead of the negative one. Yeah, good morning. It's good to be here with you, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Uh, well, first of all, you know, health is wealth in so many areas and, um, you know, being really intrinsically awakened uh, to the habits that you're currently living in and breaking those habit loops and creating new ones. Um, I was 60 pounds overweight. Uh, I was struggling in all areas of life, financially, physically, emotionally and spiritually. Found myself standing in the middle of a gym one day with the common misconception. I'm going to outwork a bad diet. 
when a guy walked up from me, a stranger from across the globe, he was traveling from Malaysia on a family emergency. And he looked at me and said, you remind me a lot of myself. And I'd love to share a lifestyle transformational program that really helped me. You know, at the point in time, you know, when you're when your health is poor and Dave, you really hit on this. Right. I mean, you get as many wishes as you want when you're when you're congruent with your health. Um, you know, luck has nothing to do with it, but consistency has everything to do with it. What you're consistent at, you'll get more of. So I was uh, I was there and I wasn't in a place ready to receive it. Now, I had been praying and begging and crying for breakthrough and change. And it was looking me right in the face and I almost missed it. He sent me an email that day and really opened up my eyes to what healthy living looked like. And I started really creating some new changes that were sustainable, right? Because diet diets in themselves, we know are what they're unsustainable. In fact, to the point of 85% of self-contained diets lead to the weight come back one or two years or less. But when we can recreate the brain, if you will, we can tr and retrain the brain to uh, build some habits that are more sustainable and long-term, your weight then will follow. And so what I did was had a series of transformations that started uh, with personal development that then led when I had that personal development increase, then I was able to, you know, have that physical transformation follow. When you're not in a healthy place in your frame of mind, your, your, your physical transformation will follow that unhealthy state of mind. So that's a little yeah. bit where I am today. Yeah, that, that last piece, Josh, and, and I hope everybody really paid attention to that because a lot of times, you know, in the coaching work that I do, yeah, you know, people are looking to the externalities. If I can just fix the externality, I'm going to, you know, my developmental focus is on what's going on outside of me. I got to develop myself first. There is nothing. There's nobody out there but me. There's no thing out there but me. And yeah, all I'm seeing is a reflection of what's going on internally manifested externally. And yeah, the, 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 this idea of, of uh, lifestyle. Yeah, practice. Yeah, the, the the adage. Yeah, practice makes perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes habits, and 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 you, we gotta. Yeah, most people don't know what they're practicing. Yeah, they really don't have a clue what they're practicing. It just shows up in their results, and they go, "This doesn't. I don't like this." Well, practice something different, and that requires discipline. It requires awareness, and it requires. Yeah, what you're speaking to, and I want you to just kind of take this a little bit further here, because because you're 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 really kind of on a mission here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we got the we got the backstory. Where does it go from here? Well, I mean, seventy four percent of the American population is overweight. Forty percent are obese. Seventy seven percent are in debt. Twenty one percent about that, approximately, and those numbers are always staggering and changing. Can't even pay their bills. But you see how they work hand in hand. You know, your, your health will follow your finances. And people often talk to me about how they don't have time. And I really try to awaken them to see that let's look at your schedule first. They don't even have a schedule because when you can look at your schedule, your schedule will tell you what's important to you. We'll sit in front of the TV for an hour and watch another hour when it's not moving us forward at all in our health or our journey. You know, feelings aren't facts. We have to be open, conscious, and curious to grow, but we live below the line, and this is where we struggle. And so below the line thinking is how the brain is wired, right? We're defensive, closed-minded, and have the willingness and need to always be right. So our fists are clenched, you know, or we're sitting like this. These are common postures and reflections of how we feel, like we're on the defense, but when we can open up, change our grip, 
our life starts to follow suit. And so my mission is very direct. I want to help people understand that, you know, what you argue for, you get to keep and what you tolerate, you get more of. Yeah. yeah. Argue right. for your limitations and they will be yours. Yeah. You guys got a, a, both of you now have uh, great ways of articulating, you know, very, in, uh, very similar beliefs of enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of your own potential. But you also, you know, shifted your mindset from, uh, you know, a scarce world of things happening to you as a victim. Uh, I was blessed with uh, Warren Moon uh, a few years ago to to teach some kids at, at the White House and in the Thomas Jefferson Library and meet with the Surgeon General. And it was amazing, you know, when I looked at what are our biggest health concerns in America, smoking, at that time, there wasn't vaping, I think, but smoking, obesity, and skincare. And I said, you know, what's the the secret? How are we going to solve this issue for, for our children? And he said, it's really simple. We have to teach them what I now call coherence. We, we have to teach them to remember what to eat, what to put on their suntan lotion, and what the detrimental aggregate effect of you know, nicotine and, and smoking in the lungs will do to them. How do we, with the younger people, you know, and I, and I find this difficult in business and in, you know, being a father, and I know Blaine has experience with this as well. It's very difficult to have someone uh, understand the aggregate effect without experiencing it. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and, the problem, and the problem with that is that it's too late. And I always say that when you have good habits, Josh, we want instant results. So it's not going to happen. And when you don't get the instant re results, you quit. And unfortunately, when we have bad habits, when we're eating the wrong things, when we're not moving the body enough, when we're smoking the wrong things or snorting the wrong things or drinking the wrong things, we don't expect any result. And guess what? It doesn't come until you're 90% of the way down and you mm -hmm. weigh 300 pounds. All, and it seems like it was overnight, but no, it started when you were 15, right? You know, eating empty calories out of bags in your pantry or going through the drive-thru uh, too many times or whatever it may be. How do we help in, you know, th this is a great business, but how do we help people experience the aggregate effect without actually experiencing the aggregate effect? Well, that's a beautiful question. And, you know, for our listeners, I want you to understand something that you're on a journey. This is your story, nobody else's. And so you have to first own that. You can't have expertise without experience. And that's the biggest uh, struggle and limitation that we we fall on victim to, right? It's self-doubt. People will talk themselves into something all the way up to the point that they talk themselves right out of it before never trying. And food is used as a primary source of comfort for that. We eat our feelings. You just said it. Eating empty calories. Why? Because it's extremely processed and highly addictive. That's what America's being fed with. So um, how I do that, it's very simple. I create authentic relationships by meeting people where they're at, letting them set the expectations. And I set the standard and course correct along the way while they set the pace, showing them that, you know, one, don't get stuck in a comparative reality. You don't know what else somebody's carrying or what they're going through. So this is about you and really bringing everything back to them. And I also make sure when I have a conversation with people, I have them repeat to me 
verbally what they're putting out and projecting on their body bodily language, right? So I want to I want to hear you say it because as you can actually verbally speak that into existence, you'll have a cognitive change, right? That will actually open your eyes to what you're actually saying and doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the language creates reality. You know, it also reflects reality. So the, the, yeah, the, the beautiful thing about the, the human form is that everybody's got one and we, we carry it with us all the time. And if we're really paying attention, and, and I, yeah, I'm certified as a master somatic coach. Uh, yeah. you know, Richard Strozzi and I go back a long way. Um, but the idea of physiology, and, and I love where you're going with this, energy is contained in a, in a form. You know, and how it gets expressed is, is what we want to pay attention to. Because I am I'm an energetic being. How am I expressing my life force? And is, is it, it comes across as this. It's contractive or it's open. Is there a thriving or surviving component to this? And I, I love where you're coming from, and I love actually the work that you're doing in the space that you're doing it in, because you know, as a, as a nation, you know, we're calorically overfed and nutritionally undernourished, and it's, and it's habituated. It, it literally is habituated. Yeah, the easy way to go is grab, yeah, grab the McDonald's. Right. So there's a question in there somewhere. So if you can find what that question is, <laughs> take it and run with it. It's 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 a it's a matter of why, right? And we always talk about, oh man, my why, my why, my why. But when I let me ask you a real honest question. You want to lose weight, okay? Why do you want to lose weight? And that's where it stops. Oh, I just want to feel better. That ain't gonna cut it. Yeah. You telling me you just want to feel better ain't gonna cut it. Let's go seven levels deep. Let's ask why you want to feel better and why is that important and why is that? You see, you, you start really awakening before you start changing because you can't change without awakening. There's no discount on greatness. I was sitting in a drive through when I was overweight, starting my weight loss journey when I had a Honda Odyssey minivan. We got four kids. My wife and I drive around this clunker. I'm running a construction business. I don't have any money, but I'm doing the do, right? I have a decision at that point. The door falls off the track and the owner comes over to me as I'm holding this door up in front of a string of traffic. I'm in sheer embarrassment and gives me a $10 gift card. Says I'm really sorry about that. I stuck that in my wallet and I keep it there to this day. Three years later, anytime I'm having self-doubt, I pull that card out and I remind myself there is no discount on greatness. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is, is that's a cliche statement until you can truly be awakened to the fact that you have so much greatness in you that is driven, divine, and a purpose that only you're set forth to do that no one can do like you. Because when you have substance, it drives you. It's then your driver. You know, last but not least, uh, Josh, there's a saying that Dennis Waitley uh, taught me years ago. Uh, we're planting seeds under trees that we may never sit under. And in my own life, with the good habits and the bad habits, of course, with experience, I could look back and see who planted those seeds, you know, whether it was my father giving me a jacket with no pockets or my best friend Rob telling me I'm lying to myself or my wife telling me she wasn't happy to all of a sudden say, shit, I got it. I got But it wasn't just one incident. It, it, it was a variety of things. And that consistent relationship that you have with your clients, 
the accountability partner that you need to consistently plant seeds, uh, knowing that, you know, if I had a dollar for the, you know, every time I've said the exact same things to my children, you know, I'd be even richer than I am, right? Because, but I know I'm planting seeds every time I tell them, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Bingo. Right. Show me your friends. And I keep, keep repeating it. How important is it or what seeds were planted to you that had the greatest impact? You know, I listed a few in mine with, with my transformation that occurred for the bad behavior that I was utilizing uh, for you. Were there you know, one or two or three seeds that were planted before you got your, I'm sure you didn't just get the gift card out of nowhere and say, oh shit, I'm gonna lose 300 pounds. Right. 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 You know, what, what were some of those seeds and how do you, or what methodology do you use to plant those seeds? Man, that's a, that's a powerful question. You know, community, mm-hmm. seeing the, the importance of surroundings, you know, I love what you said. Show me your, your surroundings. I'll show you your future or who you hang out with. I mean, it's so valid. I mean, you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. And I tell people this is probably one of the greatest seeds that I have. One is is is, is actual authentic relationship, but that community support. OK, so I'll leave you with this. The last four messages on your phone. I want you to look at them. Everybody on here at some point today, look at the last four messages, messenger, Facebook, text, whatever. Are those four people challenging you to level up or pulling you back? They better be level challenging you to level up because you're going to be the fifth of those four people you hang out with. And that's my biggest seed is community because David, you over spot on when you actually put yourself in a circle of people that are winning and like-minded, you become a winner. You nailed it. My friend, Josh Hicks, uh, what a great interview. Uh, Great uh, advice, and you can see why you're uh, one of the top health coaches in the world. And also, we didn't mention, but Josh has went from uh, what three hundred and some pounds or sixty pounds overweight to a first place bodybuilding competition championship in October of nineteen, uh, and has probably considerably moved forward from there. Even so, you can do it out there. We just gotta go ahead and have that D A Y in our lives, the new day resolutions consistent, persistent behavior. Enjoy that. Enjoy the consistent, persistent behavior like Josh Hicks can teach you and create a community for you. Josh, come back and visit again. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Josh, love meeting you. Great stuff. Yeah, great interview, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I love when you get a guy who really knows his stuff and, you know, every answer, there's nuggets in there and you're like, whoa, I love the way he says that. And yeah. I want to Let point out, that one. Yeah. I love the way he says that because you know, you get to a point, especially Blaine, who's my mentor, I'm sure he's like, well, I've heard that concept 50 times, but I've never heard it said that way. What a great way to convey it or articulate it. Uh, that's the way I felt when I talked with Josh, that he had an extraordinary way of articulating a lot of the lessons that I've learned or I teach myself. And, you know, I saw you taking notes. I see people in the side repeating, you know, the way that he articulated it, which is really important because it's not what you say, as Lou Holtz taught me as well. It's what they hear. And if you can articulate articulate things so eloquently like Josh, we'll all be better off. All right. We have our next guest in our great lineup today, Ruben Flores Martinez, founder and CEO <laughs> of Cash Drop. Hi, David. Hi, Blake. How are you guys? Hey, Ruben. Great to meet you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem, my friend. Well, you know, there's an evolution 
uh, in uh, hospitality. And one of those is, you know, the food truck industry, the pop-up industry, you know, being able to serve with mobility in high quality, unique, authentic foods. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary business, but there came challenges, especially in the merchant service side of things, the credit card processing things, the payment things. Uh, you know, if you're taking cash uh, or, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a mobile situation, there's a security issue. What was it that inspired you to create CashDrop? So, you know, it's interesting. When we launched the company, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, we had kind of built the product just a few months before. And we kind of launched with this idea of convenience. Right? It's like, how do you make it easier for restaurants and food trucks and, you know, uh, hospitality uh, uh, providers to make it more convenient for people to order, right? And lo and behold, the pandemic hits a few months later, and all of a sudden, everything's locked down. So then we kind of pivoted to this issue of safety, right? Like, how do you make it more safe, right, for staff and for, for customers to be able to communicate with one another, to transact with one another, right, while kind of keeping this this uh, ethos of convenience, right, making it faster. And um, that was really what inspired, you know, uh, the company. We wanted to make it really easy for people to be able to place orders from a restaurant, get a text from their order, was waiting for them. They could just show up. There was a bag with their name in it, and they could move on. And, you know, it's not necessarily a new idea, but it was it was an idea that was very expensive and out of reach for the majority of mom-and-pop shop restaurants around the country, right? Like, I you hear all the stories online about, you know, like, you know, delivery companies taking huge cuts from, you know, the profit margins of restaurants and so on. So we wanted to make the technology accessible, right? Something that any restaurant can download an app for free, set up their menu, launch their online ordering page, and there was no commissions or monthly fees charged to them, right? What we wanted to do is we'll, we'll provide the service and add a small convenience fee on the consumer side, knowing that we were, you know, putting all the pressure away from the merchants so that they can really focus on selling, you know, providing the best experience possible. And kind of seeing what that spark was really interesting because people were able to adopt the technology really fast, make sure that their their business operations weren't disrupted. But it also inspired a lot of people to start a business. You know, you had a lot of people that had an idea for many months, like perhaps I have a family recipe for barbecue or for these types of tacos, right? Like, and I don't know how to get started, start taking online orders or start that business, you know, from my house or from, a, you know, from wherever. And uh, people just started launching businesses. And, you know, ultimately that was our, our that became our mission, right? Like how do you, how do you enable as many people as possible to be able to launch those business ideas that they have by making it really, really easy for them to get started in just a few minutes without any cost. So it's been it's been a really awesome uh, journey for the last two years. And it, and it has been three years. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, um, you know, Ruben, as you as you kind of look at where you come from, there's a differentiator that has allowed you to be as successful as you are right now because you know, you know processing you know uh is, is not a new <laughs> that's right. not a new niche uh right. what would you say is the is the key differentiator and how you're coming to market that that, that that has people standing up going that's interesting yeah i mean honestly it's the simplest of things i i think like technology a lot of times we get carry it up with the features and like the grand scheme of things. But 
a lot of times it's about these very simple human issues. And for us, our differentiator is that we want to be the most merchant-friendly company in the market, right? Like we want to make it easy, accessible, you know, um, and, and that's really what we focused on. And lo and behold, when you really study a lot of these industries, like the hospitality industry, there's a really negative relationship that, that exists between them and technology. You know, look, look at the relationship they have with DoorDash and with Uber Eats and, you know, with all these platforms. And again, it's nothing high tech. It's just the approach that the technology companies have, right, when they approach the people they serve, which are the, the restaurants. So I think the fee you know. structure was really the big differentiator to say, look, we're going to remove the pressure, focus on providing value, Right. And we we make money when you make money. And I think that that okay. story is really what resonated to help people not only use the product, but tell each other about it. And, and here we are. You know, you know, really, you know go, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. No, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, just, yeah, yeah, the book you and I wrote, Compassionate Capitalism. Yeah. One of the predicates, you know, one of the foundational messages there is that the purpose of business is to uplift the experience of being alive on the planet. That's that's the purpose of business. Uplift right. the experience of being alive on the planet. If you're doing that well, you're going to have people knocking on your door. Right. Um, so what I'm hearing you say for the you know what you've done for the merchants is they feel good about your. How do they feel about themselves when they're in the presence of your product or your service? They feel like they can win. They feel like they've right. now got an opportunity. I feel good about me. I'm uplifted. That's a differentiator, and being able to tap into it in the way that you've done that because I mean. Credit card processing, you know, it's ubiquitous. You know I mean, right. but yeah, to your point, it's onerous. I mean, I got to pay three percent or you know, point and a half or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. That's top line. Yeah, right. <laughs> it comes yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's it, it's an old, boring, and scary industry for most, right? So we wanted yeah. to make it more approachable for the next generation of businesses, right? Particularly during this very, very difficult period with the pandemic, right? Like what happens after, right? Because so many businesses have to shut down, but I feel like we do believe that with all this death comes this giant wave of, of you know, rebirth. And what are we doing to empower that next generation to make it easier and easier and easier so we can not only bounce back from where we were, but actually get further, right? Like, and I think that that's the approach that you need to do it. And it just completely takes a new perspective on the issue, you know, on what are you doing to empower merchants from a technology perspective, but understanding the economical implications that technology can bring to different industries, right? The cost of doing business with tech sometimes prevents the majority of people from actually being able to leverage it. And then you have this concentration of power and access, you know, that's only reserved for the top tier of, 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 of restaurants and chains, right? Like how do you bring that Starbucks level experience to the mom and pop shops of the world and what happens when we actually do, that's the that's what keeps us up at night. You know, <clears throat> you talk about uplifting the experience of our customers, uh, of this human journey that we're on. But it, we have so many different customers from vendors to employees to the consumer itself, uh, but also our investors. And, you know, our key to equity and inclusion is financing, sure. uh, making sure that we're empowering uh, with equity, we're, we're empowering, you know, the inner city kids. We're, we're with finance. We're, we're empowering entrepreneurs of all colors, sizes, shapes, religions, sexual orientation. Uh, you know, all the different things that we need to do. 
And one of the areas that is lacking is our Latin community, right. uh, funding them appropriate. And I want to give a, a big shout out to one of my friends, David Grutman, uh, who's one of the lead investors for your project. And yes. you're one of the under 2% <clears throat> of Latin entrepreneurs that have been financed, you know, to a significant amount, millions of dollars uh, for this project. How important is it to be capitalized in beyond the money? What other values uh, do your key investors, would you have some, you know, world renowned investors in your project? Uh, what do they do in how can we encourage more people like David Grutman uh, to join into this uh mission of equity and inclusion by financing everyone yeah i love i love that you brought up dave he's he's one of my favorite humans in on earth and Me i too. think i think david gruppen represents what the future of the venture industry really looks like right dave is not a venture capitalist right like he built this hospitality empire from scratch right and he built this gigantic network of people that know and love him and i feel like we're starting to get to this point you know where there's a level in the industry where capital is not so much more as powerful as relationships can be, right? Like there's there's a level where network and relationships can open doors and money can't buy you. But I think you have to get to that point to be able to leverage, you know, and, and, and take advantage of that, which is where you go back to the to the to the issue of capital, you know, it's still a very crucial piece of the journey. And I learned this the hard way being a Latino founder, right? Like I learned the hard way that only less than one, you know, 1% of venture dollars go to black and Latino founders. And it's 2021, right? Like it, 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 when I started my journey with Cashtrap, right? You know, it always felt like I had to work twice as hard to get half as far, right? And it's a real issue. And it's something that I'm very outspoken about, but I feel like it's also something that reinforces my positions of how I think about what the company needs to do for the people we serve, right? We started, we bootstrapped. When we got a lot of traction, we were making money, we tried to go fundraise and nobody would pay attention to us, right? And it wasn't so much that the idea wasn't there, we were profitable, we were making money, we were growing really fast, you know, but but I, it almost felt like people just didn't want to take the time to pay attention and actually listen or read the numbers, right? And it it's not even a unique story that I have as a Latino founder. Um, and it, it it just kind of it reinforced me to double down on the bootstrapping. I said, fuck it. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep building, keep making money, right? If I if I make this many transactions, I make this much money, I can cover the rent and then I can hire employees. Like, I just think about that. And, and that's what got us to this point, right? Like, I think there's a tipping point where the tables turn and you meet the right people with the right investors. And, you know, next thing you know, we went from nobody would fund us to now we have some of the, you know, the seed investors in Uber and Instacart and, you know, Niantic and SpaceX wanting to invest, throwing us a term sheet within hours of meeting us, right? So I think my personal goal now just becomes like, how can I help other founders that share my experience have a similar path, but faster, right? Like my personal goal is how do I help that next Ruben get 10 times faster 10 times and make it 10 times bigger, right? Like that's how you compound uh, uh, um, value within your own community. And, and I think, you know, what I've learned about that now looking back and being able to be in a position where I'm at, it's like I need to be able to introduce the next Ruben to the, to the big reference of the world faster, than ever before. I need to become that springboard of, 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 of networking. So 
you know, you can you can really get get people to respond with and realize and have the ability to make these higher decisions about their businesses and create a higher level of impact. But it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of founders like me that have made it. But, you know, how do you kind of do that when it's hard to kind of make it to this point? So it's like a chicken and egg problem going on a little bit. But I think we're, you know, there's a lot of minority founders out there that I think think the same way that I do. And we're trying our best to make sure that we can lower that barrier of entry and, you know, provide as many seats at the table as we can. Well, we'll tell you that it's so important, Ruben, uh, which is why I wanted to shout out David and, and a few of my other friends that have invested in your deal. Uh, because in 1999, when I was on Sand Hill Road myself, raising hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, I remember someone say uh, to me, I can't believe it's 1999 and less than 1% uh, of investment goes to women, people of color, Latins, less than 1%. And they were saying it, you know, like, I can't believe, you know, we're so enlightened here in 1999. You know, we, we, we need to, to put our money into the communities, into the people, so that we have a more collective, uh, abundant uh, atmosphere economically and this is right. what occurs when you have inclusion and equity uh, by having all types of people with all types of perspectives right. helping one another like you said right. and you know David Grutman myself we all don't look alike we didn't come from the same places uh, but we're creating abundance and it is entrepreneurs like you that will you know not only change the world but save the world and these are how we address social issues in my opinion is through finance I agree support. It all goes Absolutely. down to the money at the end of the day. You know, money is what, what creates results for, for communities. Right? Like, and I think that, you know, you, you want to get to that point, but also you want to only be doing business with people that believe in the same version of the world you're working so hard to build. You know, you don't want to sell yourself short because it leads to a lot of problems. And I've seen that many, many times. So, you know, relationships is really what makes the world go around. You know, one of my mentors once told me, Ruben, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. When you make a good impact in people, right, and they remember your name, like that's what opens doors. And, you know, we just have to be, there's a lot of work to be done to kind of help. But like I said, the, the, the face of the venture industry, is, it's changing. There's a lot of capital in the market. It's, there's no shortage of capital. There's a shortage of access to the people that have capital and for them to see, you know, what the next generation of entrepreneurs are. And I think like, you know, for the first 20, 30 years of the Internet, we kind of built for this community that was kind of like, you know, in the in the more advanced type of region. And I think we've overlooked a lot of the communities that were like in the developing side. Right. But I feel like the next 20, 30 years of the Internet belongs to those communities, the people that have been overlooked, the people that, you know, haven't hadn't caught up by then. And now I think it's like founders that they're coming from those communities that understand those perspectives that are the ones that are going to create the next sizable impact and returns for the next three years. So in a way, it's kind of like our era right now. We just have to be able to find the capital that is going to compound benefits to the communities we want to impact, right? Like I always, you know, you, you always read the stories. Like when there's companies like Lyft or Uber, they go public and millionaires are minted out of nowhere, right? You're talking hundreds of them. It's like what happened? And I always think about this. This is the things that I obsess about sometimes. Like what happens since, you know, Castro goes public on the NASDAQ and all of a sudden our first 200 you know, employees become millionaires. Like what happens to those communities? Because I've been working so hard to create one of the most diverse tech companies in the market. Like what's going to happen when that happens? Like I'm really excited to see that. 
and and you know we're working so hard to make that make that but also always keeping that you know that ambition in line with the purpose we're here to provide for the mom and pop shop businesses for the entrepreneurs that are just getting started because we need to practice what we preach because in that side of things when you really not only create a business that can make money, you create a movement, you create a brand, because that's what that's what really gets people attached to what you're doing. Like people don't care about features or apps. They care about stories, they care about movements, they care about purpose. And I think that when you really align everything from the investors to the values to the features of your product, everything starts moving in tandem. And I think that that's where history happens. And, and, you know, that's that's it. Now, Ruben, you, you need to get a little bit more excited and passionate about this. <laughs> well, Ruben, I, I was going to say, oh, too. Focus here. That's See, okay, you, Ruben. You, 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 uh, you made me fuzzy. I, I, I love it, Ruben, you know, because I'm hoping there's, you know, young Latin women and men who are looking at you saying, man, if this guy can do it, right. I can do it. And, you know, I always said one of my greatest uh, powers in life is I've set the bar really low, meaning people <laughs> look at me and they're like, man, if this clown can do it, I can do it. Right. And that's what I want people to say. I want people right. that don't look like me to say, man, if this guy can do it, I can do it. I appreciate you being that icon, that milestone for the youth, especially with your perspective. I know why David Grutman uh, and others invested in you uh, and in your idea. Like, it's very obvious, you know, no one thought that this was a unique space, but yet you are a unique entrepreneur and there's many like you out there that need our support. So thank you so much. Check out Cash Drop. Check out Ruben himself. Come back and visit us. We got many more shows. Love to give you more exposure and awareness, uh, especially, you know, I'm a chief chancellor with Blaine in, in the Junior Achievement uh, University. And, you know, we have a very diverse and equitable inclusion now from the days when I was a junior achievement kid and there was only white males uh, in the program. And now we're over 50% women and over 30% minorities. So it's beautiful. Our future is looking bright so that someday someone's not sitting there on 2040 saying, I can't believe it's 2040 and less than 1% right. of the money is going to, you know, minorities. So uh, we appreciate you. You were a perfect timed interview as well, because I see, Dr. Lauren Martin is uh, in the green room now. So it's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Uh, say hi to David Grutman for me. Keep Will up do. the great work and keep empowering others with your actions. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. Ruben, Have a great day. having you on the show. Great Thank having you, Blaine. Thank you. Take care. All right. Wow. Uh, we'll see here. Maybe not. I, Dr. Martin. Well, let's start with the takeaways for the day. And if we can get uh, Dr. Lauren Martin's uh, video working, we'll, we'll bring uh, for a question real quick, but what's your takeaway for the day, Blaine? Um, yeah, you know, a real simple one. And you know, it has to do with relationship and you know, I don't mean interpersonal relationship, although that's part of it. One of the, you know, the relationship that people have with fill in the blank, the quality of the relationship determines the, the success of any undertaking. And I was really struck by one of the things that Ruben said right at his, right at the very end. And he said it so fast that it didn't, you know, it kind of pop out for many people, I don't think. But he talked about you know when we're being successful and when we're you know chasing the capital, capital is necessary to keep the business alive here. We've got to be mindful, and this is the relationship. We've got to be mindful of keeping the purpose of who we are in front of the chase for the capital, because if we lose that relationship to who we are, 
you know, it, it becomes a house of cards. And I love that. that's, you know, all three of our guests in some way, shape or form talked about the quality of the relationship, you know, whether it was community, whether it was, you know, how I go to market, whether it's the relationship I have with security, I mean, you know, any of those sorts of things. But yeah, I, I always will come back as a default to the quality of the relationship in some way, shape or form. That's kind of how I sort. Wow. Amazing. Well, we, uh, we're, we will bring on in between my takeaway and yours, Dr. Lauren Martin, uh, playing in a space again of health, you know, just to reiterate when we're healthy, we get as many wishes as we want. And when we're unhealthy, we won't we only have one wish. And one of the most challenging health issues we have is mental health, uh, because how do we deal with perspective? I think a lot of people don't simplify mental health of uh, the duality of the uh, the challenge. You know, when, when you break your arm, there's only one issue to deal with, right? Mending the bone. But when we have mental health, there's two issues to deal with. One, you know, what's the broken bone here? But also, how do I deal with your perspective to fix the bone? Because... There's a duality uh, within the context of our conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind. And uh, Dr. Martin takes this perspective with Alter Health Group um, in mental health research and treatment analysis. He's located right by me in Data Point. But, you know, this idea of neurodivergent people, uh, Dr., you know, really intrigues me. What does that actually mean? And am I on some sort of of the right alignment or path of this divergent idea of we're dealing with a duality of perspective and of illness, just not an illness? And I know you may even have a question for Blaine and I that we can help you with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, certainly with the um, you know COVID nineteen pandemic, we've seen a. a, a a pandemic within the pandemic in mental health. And there's been several uh, studies that have now come out showing you know, a, a rise in cases of major depressive disorder or even uh, anxiety disorders, uh, uh, upwards of 30% rise year over year, uh, which also co coincides with a 30% rise in overdose deaths. So you know, it, it's clearly an issue that we need to address uh, and uh, we're, you know, everyone I think is trying to address. I know you mentioned like the, the breaking of a bone and, and that type of injury. Well, you know, coinciding often with those injuries is, is a mental health condition, right? Because someone is not able to do what they were able to do previously. Um, it, it, in terms of neurodivergence, you know, that this is a term that uh, really came out out of, uh, you know, the, the uh, studies of autism and developmental disorders and recognition of you know, there are uh, perhaps different pathways and, and wiring within the brain in which people think differently than other people. And uh, actually, uh, Dr. Temple Grandin was uh, one of the first to champion uh, this idea of uh, uh, someone who has an autism spectrum disorder who thinks differently. And, and her book, Thinking in Pictures, as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Jim Quick yeah. is a good example of how to yeah. actually. Was great. I was just thinking about utilize uh, neurodivergence in understanding his own brain, uh, as he said. You know, challenges as a young boy and learn to uh, utilize his brain in, in an appropriate manner to change other people's lives.
But uh, doctor, do you have a question for Blaine and I? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really um, interested uh, with the Unstoppable Foundation. I, I uh, commend you with the work that uh, is being done there. I mean, that that uh, looks really incredible. And, and I was looking at the, the pillars that you have. And in particular, one of the pillars stood out, and, and that's healthcare, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was wondering, like, uh, because oftentimes we have uh, developed a model of healthcare that uh, uh, unfortunately... Uh, doesn't really uh, embrace mental health care as much as it needs to, right? And I, I think we're starting to shift that paradigm and recognize that, well, actually, it, it, it needs to be a holistic health care and, and mental health care is an important component to that. Wondering if you could speak a little bit about, uh, you know, embracing mental health care as, as, as part of that model. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to go first or you want yeah, I'll, I'll jump uh, in, into that uh, question. Um, yeah, and full disclaimer, I'm on the board uh, of the foundation. Uh, and, and as is David, David's actually the chair of the board. Um, and I'm also married to the founder of, of the organization. So, uh, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm not a disinterested party here. That being said, uh, the healthcare pillar has been a profoundly important part of the work that the foundation does. And one of the things that we're, you know, we've uh, begun doing, and we, we started this a couple of years ago, is taking a large focus on leadership development through our leadership academy initiatives. And, and part and parcel of that, and this is kind of how I bring it together with the, uh, uh, the healthcare pillar, is, you know, the the leadership conversation and the leadership work we do is, is really about attitudinal healing. That's one of the major drivers that we're bringing into place with that. Some of the work that Jerry Jampolsky uh, championed, um, you know, the, the idea of attitude, you know, you know which is a mental construct. Uh, you know, how do we actually facilitate a healthy attitude that can enable overcoming uh, obstacles, overcoming some of the perturbation that we find out in some of these, you know, these, uh, these areas in which we work. So, you know, it, the idea, it's holistic. So there is a melding that's going on. It's not just medical services through a hospital, uh, ambulatory care, that sort of thing. It, it really is expanded. It's not labeled as such, but there is that, in, you know, that, that weaving that's going on, you know, with, with the work the foundation's doing. Yeah, and as chairman of the foundation, uh, as I've been told, committed for life, uh, I became the interim chairman years and years ago. And then after years of service, uh, Cynthia Blaine's wife told me that interim meant this lifetime. Uh, she didn't make me commit for my next life yet. Uh, so, uh, but the that, that's why we're meeting on Saturday. Yeah, it, it uh it goes beyond though just the hospitals that we've built and the healthcare in the schools. Uh, we we have a school for for healthcare as well, which obviously is inclusive of mental health, which is you know obvious within the healthcare industry that even in Kenya, uh, in the Masamari, what we're doing. But you know the colleges and high schools with the attitudinal uh, curriculum that goes beyond you know it goes to the world thought leaders. We're we're blessed and unstoppable. Uh, the contributors to our attitudinal education system, people like Bob Proctor, Mary Morrissey, Jack Canfield, Blaine Bartlett, uh, you know, these are world thought leaders that the students may not even know the names of, 
of you know in America we 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 know these world thought leaders and the the blessings that they've given and then you know the final piece was one that my wife uh, inspired me on my fiftieth birthday, which is how the foundation was founded on on Cynthia's. Although she looks much younger than me, on her fiftieth birthday years ago, I won't say how many. This is how the foundation was formed. We raise money for a community center, and part of my wife's uh, inspiration for me to do this fifty for fifty, which was really difficult, fifty birthday parties in a year. Uh, to be on that many times and blow out that many candles is not easy. Uh, but more importantly, you know, this community center was we were losing one of the most important parts of the community. For so many years, our, our charity was trying to break the chains of some of, you know, the terrible cultural, uh, you know, uh, things that were occurring over, you know, centuries. But now we were losing some of the positive traditions. And we needed to bring in the, the mental health aspect, the attitudinal and perspective, uh, you know, support that a grandparent, even though, you know, my grandfather, you know, I do not want to quote the things. And he was one of the purest heart, you know, died at 97, but he was born in 1913. So the language that he used is not language that I can use today. And he had no bad intention, but I think it was so important. And my wife uh, was just, you know, so enlightened to say, hey, we need to bring the good part of the grandparents in into this mental side of things, because y you probably know better than I do, doctor, that, you know, my grandparents played an integral role in my mental health. You know, <laughs> we, we both had a common enemy, number one, which made it really nice. <laughs> Call my parents. Uh, but, <laughs> but it was nice to have someone to talk to. Right. And that's what, you know, one of the, the great and I know Blaine's a, a grandparent himself, uh, you know, that his grandchildren definitely talk to him differently than they talk to, to, to Blaine's own children. So, uh, you know, without a doubt, it's a major uh, point for not only us at Unstoppable, but for everyone around the world. And we appreciate all the effort and work that you're doing. You're so close to us. We'll have to get together in person. I'm just right up the hill uh, fr from you. Uh, there, you know, in San Juan Capistrano. So we're we're looking over you, making sure you're safe there on the ocean. Oh, that'd be terrific. <laughs> awesome. Love Thank you meeting. so much. Take right, care. Take care. Thank you guys. Great work. Your oh, takeaway, David. Doctor, doc. Yeah, I went a little bit over today. Six oh three. I'm a time freak, but um, you know, it's interesting because my my takeaway of the day uh, is. Each of these individuals, you know, you forget what we were talking about in the in the beginning, you, you know, yeah. with like re, re, ridiculous people that come on here, Grant Gibson and, you know, what he's doing to protect us again, you know, an ex-Marine of that. Uh, and then, you know, gosh, I, 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 we've had thousands of guests, by the way, and mm -hmm. uh, Josh Hicks, you know, he in, in his lessons and stories and of course Ruben in his lessons and stories and even Dr. Lauren Martin these lessons and stories my takeaway for the day is that we all have lessons and stories but some yeah. of us can articulate them to resonate with more of us 10% of the people will love everything that Blaine says he could sit on my show and say well 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 and everyone goes, oh my God, I love Blaine. He's a, he's a genius. And 10% of the people, unfortunately, 
uh, are not going to like Blaine. He just his frequency is going to be like Tabasco in a wound. <laughs> but how well he can articulate articulate the lessons and stories of his life uh, will determine how much the eighty percent resonates and learns and hears the lessons and stories, yep. and hopefully. At the very least, they plant seeds under trees that Blaine and I may never sit under, but still impact and empower the world. Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash D-A-Y, empowering and impacting the world with his lessons and stories. I appreciate you. Even though 10% of the people don't like us, the other 90% <laughs> uh, hopefully love us. And I appreciate all you do to be uh, up early and on our show. Oh, hey, we're in good company with each other. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a webinar tomorrow morning, uh, 10 a.m. Design a year that designed you in return. It's free. Come on down. And that's the site that you can register for it. So, and you've got a show tomorrow morning. I, I will say people ask me, you know, where do I learn my shit? Right there. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I hear what you say. Join that webinar. You will not regret it. I do my free trainings every Friday. Uh, if you need to make the choice, which one I record mine. So go ahead, join Blaine and then check the replay on the, on the podcast. We have Blaine. We're, ge we're getting to over 60,000 people registered for my free training, almost on 22 <sighs> years, 22 years of doing it. Uh, not counting Instagram live and TikTok live in uh, all the other places, LinkedIn that it goes out to. So I just want to thank everyone. This week's tra training, by the way, is overlap agreement. How to codify, memorialize referrals. And it's become a seven-figure business for me, all because of a simple document. And I'm going to work through teaching people how to use uh, the document, how to create a network of people giving business to each other and monetize it. Uh, and then answer questions as well. So make sure you join tomorrow. What time is your webinar, Blaine? 10 a.m. Pacific. Perfect. 10 a.m. Pacific. I, I will and be, there will be a replay. So, yeah. I will talk about it on my training because I think my training is at 6 a.m. Uh, yeah. Pacific. So, uh, you know me, I'm off. Oh, no, 7 a.m. Pacific. Is that right, Matt? Is that why you're holding up seven fingers? All right, 7 a.m., Matt says. So <laughs> it took me six years to teach the kid uh, – that very good, Matt. We're, we'll get to 10 by next year. So we're doing well. There you go. This many, Dave. This many. All this right. many. This you. many. Send my love to Cynthia. Thank you. Learn.blamebartlet.com forward slash D A Y. 10 a.m. Pacific time tomorrow. Join the web in our design your own life. Musealize the new day resolutions in order to do so. Blaine, I love you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too, buddy. Take care. Right Bye. Bye bye. All right, I'm here at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, just uh, dealing with the adaptation of how COVID is affecting one of the largest shows in the world. And it's amazing how much you still get done. Uh, there's so many great people out there that I want to thank, especially Blaine. Uh, tomorrow's training, 7 a.m. Please join me, join Blaine at 10 a.m. We have so much content here for free just to be of service and of value to you. Remember, though, uh, if you do want my new day resolutions, which goes really well with his webinar, David at dmelter.com. If you want to get a pre-look at the overlap agreement uh, for tomorrow's training, David at dmelter.com created a seven-figure business by just simply memorializing, helping people and driving business to them and asking them to help drive business to me. David at dmelter.com. But most importantly, thank you, Matt Mendoza. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds.
We'll see you tomorrow.